I've read a lot of books. I read a lot. And this was one book where I was like, this guy got it. He really got it. Hello, and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. This week, ahead of your holiday shopping, we've collected books that get you excited and inspired. Books that have changed the ways top leaders and founders from the biggest organizations in the world work, think, and lead. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please, take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. It's an incredible book. It's the one I probably, in my own mental frameworks, refer to the most. I mean, I've ended up giving that book to every managing director and partner. I've been reading books that are provoking me to think about, you know, what's, what's our life? What do we come here to do? So that's what's keeping me busy right now, reading all of this. You just heard the voices of a sampling of the book lovers I've talked to so far on Meet the Leader. Linduay Mitlati, the founder of NGO Africa Teen Geeks, CEO Rich Lesser of Boston Consulting Group, and Lena Nair, the Unilever Chief Human Resources Officer. This week's episode is focused on books for a few reasons. Most importantly is the launch of Meet the Leader's newest sister podcast, the Book Club Podcast. This podcast is the latest extension of a very popular World Economic Forum book club online, founded by my very talented colleague, Beatrice DeCaro. She takes that community and has transformed it into a podcast with one-on-one conversations where you, the listener, can pose questions to some of the top authors around the globe. Here's a sneak preview. Hey! I'm Beatrice DiCaro, and I'm the host of the Book Club podcast from the World Economic Forum. For the last three years, we've been so lucky to share our love of books with an ever-growing audience of over 200,000 of you on our book club group on Facebook. And now we're taking it up a notch with a brand new podcast. Our show will feature in-depth interviews with some of our favorite authors looking at their most recent work, their motivations, inspirations, and so much more. Great fiction, economics, psychology, philosophy, the world's best storytellers will be telling us their stories. We'll be checking in with cutting-edge thinkers like organizational psychologist Adam Grant, best-selling author of Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. If we all brought a little bit of the humility to know what we don't know, um, the doubt that we, we don't attach often enough to the things we think we do know, and the curiosity to discover more, we might have more open minds, and I think a more open-minded world is probably a better world. Jillian Tett, editor-at-large at the Financial Times, who is on a mission to show us how anthropology can explain the world. We can all benefit by trying to immerse ourselves into the lives and minds of others so that we can then flip the lens and look back at ourselves with a lot more clarity. Or Indian-American author Parag Khanna, who will talk about his latest book, Move, how mass migration will reshape the world and what it means for you. We are capable of preserving our survivability as a species through mobility, and it's a macro version of fight or flight. And let me tell you, you don't really want to fight nature. And giants from the world of literature, like author of The 40 Rules of Love and The Island of Missing Trees, Elif Shafak. Inside fiction, there is everything. Inside a novel, there is politics, there is technology, there is psychology, philosophy, you know, there is neuroscience. 
and there's so much more. So join me, Beatrice DiCaro, for our first episode of the Book Club podcast from the World Economic Forum, where I'll be speaking to Professor Adam Grant. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it when it lands. That was B with a preview of the best book club podcast that you need to follow next. This week's Meet the Leader is focused on books. With the holidays and New Year's not far behind, books have a place in everything we're doing at this yearly pivot point. From taking stock to making plans to scanning gift lists. And I'm sure you have seen your share of gift lists this season. But I would wager this is one of the few lists compiling books that have excited and shaped the lives of real leaders. Leaders of companies like Bank of America and IBM. These books offer practical advice and inspiration, but they will also challenge how you think and act and lead. That makes them a great gift for the problem solver in your world or a great pick for yourself, especially if you're looking forward to 2022 and how you'll tackle a new goal or sharpen your own skills. Meet the Leader is now more than a year old, and we have a wealth of wonderful book recommendations. We will start our special compilation episode with a pick from Bank of America's CEO, Brian Moynihan. You might not expect a bank exec to recommend a book on curiosity, but Brian did just that. He talked to me last year about a book that he connected with, Brian Grazier's A Curious Mind. I stumbled in a book written by a fellow named Brian Grazier, who is one of the wonderful Hollywood producers. And so he'd written a book about being curious. Obviously, he's tremendously talented and creative, but, but he started off, you know, going to law school type of thing. And then he learned more about the business and, you know, got to where he's gotten under curiosity. And, you know, he describes how he made his career about these curiosity conversations. And I think that's the issue is even in time of stress, how do you make curious about ask the next question? Try to find the next point. Don't presume you know. Um, be willing to say, I'm probably wrong. Let me figure out how to get right as opposed to I'm right. Go do it. You know, that curiosity, you know, in a short-term issue is important. And so it, it, the book's called A Curious Mind by Brian Grazier. I'd recommend it to anybody, especially younger people. They, they should read it because it, it's, a, it's a wonderful, fun read, but also embedded in his basic message of curiosity. Rich Lesser read Give and Take by Adam Grant at the start of his tenure as CEO at Boston Consulting Group. And it so impacted him, he arranged for a sort of book club night with his executive committee. It's the only book he recommends, and it's one he's given to every managing director and partner. The company has one of the largest boards of directors in the world, and the book's message has been especially important to BCG, he says, given its emphasis on teaming. Here's Rich to tell you more. I think Give and Take by Adam Grant, Professor of Warden, is an incredible book. It's the one I probably, in my own mental frameworks, refer to the most about how do you create organizations that are more centered around givers than takers, and how do you spot the various individuals and what their profiles are, how do you shape organizations, um, and and what does it do to strengthen organizations when you can create a giving mindset, a high-performance culture, still want performance, but with a giving mindset. It was the only night we had book club at the executive committee. I, we were sitting in Singapore at an executive committee and I said, okay, I gave it to him two months at a time. I said, we're all gonna read this book and we're gonna talk about, are we a giving organization? What would it mean? Where do we come up short? How would we operate differently? And I think 
taking a book, and by the way, there are other great books, so, but that whole idea of taking a book, talking about it as a leadership team, talking about what it meant for us as individuals, but also what it meant for our, um, for our, how we would lead the organization. I thought that was quite shaping. I've ended up giving that book to every managing director and partner. It's one of the, maybe the only one that I give them because I do think this mindset of how are we acting as givers and what does it mean to be high performance and being a giver? Because some giver organizations are just lower performing. I had the amazing chance to talk to Lindy Way Mitlotti this summer. She's the founder of Africa Teen Geeks, one of Africa's largest computer science NGOs, one using tech education to reshape opportunity across the continent and create a pipeline of new developers, engineers, and entrepreneurs. Promoting entrepreneurship is a huge priority for Linda Way, and that's why she connected so strongly with the book The Prosperity Paradox by Clayton Christensen. Here's Linda Way to explain more. I've read a lot of books. I read a lot. And that was one book where I was like, this guy got it. He really got it. And and if we can have as many people to, to think about innovation like that, to think about solving poverty like that, not just by signing a check, not by thinking you know what people want, what people need, but and really think about yourself as a partner and collaborate and help. And, and, and also thinking about entrepreneurship differently, about even innovation, like, you know, the market creating innovations and getting this everybody to start thinking about that. I, I really hope that all your 5 million listeners and that you reach can read that book. I think for me, like over the next few years, my goal is to try and make sure that every high school kid in Africa get that book because it will change the way they see the world and it will change the way they see themselves and their role in really innovating themselves out of poverty. Bob Moritz is the global chairman of PwC and at the helm of one of the top four accounting firms around the globe. His firm is focused on impact and sustainability, sure, but also at looking at how it can invest in things like job training to ensure it's resilient in the years ahead. The book he suggested helps you strengthen how you react to challenges and help you think differently about how you take action. Here's Bob on 10 Years to Midnight by Blair H. Shepard, PwC's global leader for strategy and leadership. And it's all built around the ticking clock of some of the major challenges that are out there. In that, he describes these trends, and in that, he describes the crises that exist today. And the question that it supposes is, are you going to do anything about this? such that it turns into a much more optimistic, hopeful narrative, or are you gonna leave it by the side and let it become a half empty and more negative catastrophic narrative? And, and that one I think has been interesting for two reasons. One, it's helped refine us and me in terms of what we should be thinking about and as a result, what we should be doing from a strategy perspective. When we've talked to clients about it, it resonates quite a bit. And it also, I think, nicely lays out for government leaders the challenge they have. So to me, it was a great opportunity to sort of encapsulate uh, the challenges that all of us are seeing and feeling these days in a simple, easy read type of way to put some context and then really get to the next steps of what do we do. Just before the U.S. election last year, I had the chance to talk to former U.S. Ambassador Tom Shannon. His pick is a great one for any history buff, but 
Its themes can also be a comfort to anyone during uncertain times. Here's Ambassador Shannon on one of his favorites. I'm a big fan of the memoirs of Dean Acheson, who was the Secretary of State during the presidency of Harry Truman, who played a central role in building all of the post-World War II global structures. And the book is called Present at the Creation. Uh, it's a big book. It's got a lot of history in it that not everybody can deal with. Um, but if you read the first couple of chapters and the last couple of chapters, what you'll get is what it was like to try to build something new out of the ashes of World War II. And what was striking for me is that um, Atchison said that um, the statesman that worked on that issue had several qualities. He, he described them as boundless energy, determination to be successful, and near complete ignorance of the challenge that they faced. And as he writes about the early years of, of this process, in other words, the late 1940s and 1950s, uh, he describes it as, as kind of navigating through fog of really not understanding, first of all, the extent of the destruction that was done uh, during World War II, or just how to go about rebuilding. And it was all done kind of incidentally, but with a, a, a larger strategic purpose. You know, I, I really think in some ways we're present at the creation again, that we're gonna have an opportunity to rebuild the way that Atchison and, and the allies did in the aftermath of, of World War II. But um, and I think we have the same level of energy and the same boundless determination. Uh, but I would argue that we're not ignorant. I would argue that we have a pretty clear idea of what it is we need to do. And so uh, I, I think if, if for no other reason than to be inspired, uh, reading Atchison's memoirs uh, could be very, very helpful. Meet the Leader had the chance to talk with Carlos Brito, the CEO of AB InBev, before he stepped down this past July after a 30-year career at the company. AB InBev, if you didn't know, is the largest brewer in the world and the company behind big brands like Corona and Budweiser. The company works on a lot of interesting projects, ensuring they can deliver things like high-precision weather data to smallholder farmers who work with little more than a flip phone. Executing those projects takes teamwork. And Brito, as he's known, talked to me about a book that can help you ensure that your company has the DNA to succeed at the team level. Here's Brito on the classic book, Good to Great. Yeah, one book that I, that I read many years ago, but I continue to use as a, as a reference book, is uh, Good to Great from Jim Collins. Uh, I think it's a great book because it's about what successful companies did. It's all about what successful companies adopted as a way of building their business in terms of values, culture, kind of leadership. It's, it's based on research, not his opinion. And it's based on facts and figures. Is there something that has really stuck with you from that book that you put into play or advice that you uh, always point out to others? Yeah, sure. I mean, something we've always practiced even before we read the book is this idea that we are the company. Myself and my colleagues, we are the company. There's no such a thing as A, B, and Bev other than myself and 170,000 colleagues around the world. We are the company. So this idea that because we are the company, the, the fact that you're attracting talented people is the biggest determinant of whether you're gonna be able to build a great, enduring company, because as they grow, the company, quote-unquote, will grow. So in his book, it says the same thing. He uses a sentence that's uh, 
I like it very much that says, first who, then what? So first, you make sure that you have the right people on the bus that is in your company, and then you give them something big to do. So first who, then what? So that's what we learn time and time again, because for you to have a, a very powerful brand in the market that does well with consumers, it's because you have great people that have the right insights from consumers and are able to translate those insights into branding, into things that consumers can touch, uh, drink from, enjoy, buy. So if you have a brewer that's very efficient in terms of use of water, it's because that brewer is managed by people that care and have learned best practices and use them day in and day out. So again, people. So it's all about people and the shared values. We call it culture. Carmine DeCipio is the global chairman and CEO of EY, one of the largest professional services firms in the world. We talked last year about how big companies are uniquely poised to scale positive change and the unique responsibility they have to do just that. Carmine's book pick taps into the power of business to build positive impact. Here's his choice. I Love Capitalism by Ken Langone. It's truly a, a great book around believing in capitalism, what it can do on the positive side. Ken's someone who, you know, started in, in the middle class and obviously went on to found Home Depot and has given back so much. And so I found that to be an interesting book and a book to read in terms of what good capitalism has done. And if someone read this, what would be the takeaway in your mind? What would be the lesson learned? Um, I think the lesson learned would be is that capitalism provides a lot of opportunity for many different types of people. And if you work hard, it will be beneficial to you. David Rubenstein is the co-founder of the Carlyle Group, one of the world's largest private equity firms. He's also an avid reader who has the distinct pleasure of getting to interview many of the authors of the books he enjoys on his Bloomberg program, The David Rubenstein Show. When I asked him for his favorite book recommendations, I got a slew of options in return. Here's our exchange from last year. I do try to read two books a week, and I have a trick to doing it, which is I read things about subjects I know something about. So if I had to read a physics book or chemistry textbook, it would take me about three years to get through it. But by reading biographies, uh, business books, uh, books on philanthropy, books on politics, I, I can probably get through them. James Shapiro has a wonderful book out now on how Shakespeare has affected American life. Highly recommend that he's a leading Shakespeare scholar at, at Columbia. A, a very good book that won the Pulitzer Prize is by David Blight on uh, Frederick Douglass, another you know, American hero. And, uh, and of course, one of the greatest history books I've ever read is the book by Garth Kearns Goodwin, uh, Team of Rivals, about what made Lincoln tick and how he survived with all the kind of rivals in his cabinet. More books have been written about Abraham Lincoln than any other living American, or any Americans ever lived. And so I asked her once, well, why would you write a book about Lincoln? Because everything's been written. And so she, as she delved into it, she wasn't sure what the hook would be. And then she realized that he had put a lot of his enemies in the cabinet and actually he had a quote, quote, team of rivals who became a team of allies because they ultimately revered Lincoln. And so what you get from that is that even though you have enemies, even though you have competitors, if you work together with them, you can achieve some great things. And obviously, a lot of other politicians have been affected by that view, but some have not been. In January, I had the chance to talk to Polly Cordes. She was the founder director of the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership before she stepped down this spring 
She has worked with thousands of leaders in government and business for decades, developing new ways of doing business that put sustainability and long-term reward over short-term returns. Polly offered a charming book recommendation that I would never have heard of otherwise, one on the tension between landscapes and economics. Here's Polly on The Fight for Beauty. There's a book I'm reading right now, which is by one of my Cambridge colleagues, um, Dame Fiona Reynolds, and it looks at the history of Britain's belief in the importance of landscape beauty and at the political and economic forces that have shaped the countryside. It's called The Fight for Beauty. And it talks about how the drive for economic growth is crowding out everything that can't be given a monetary value. And the idea of the book is to inspire us through the beauty of the world around us to do things differently. So I've been very moved by this book because I suppose right from my days growing up in South Africa, which is in my view one of the most beautiful places on earth, that sense of the beauty of the world around us, both human and natural, has been a real driving force in my life. So I've really enjoyed looking at the history of how we how we have arrived at this tussle between nature and the economy. And if someone picked up that book, what do you think they would take from it? I would think that they would take from it that some of the problems we're dealing with now, some of the battles that we're having now are not new. But the scale at which we are dealing with them is vastly more significant and the risks are vastly greater if we don't recognize that we have to live in harmony with the natural world and that we have to understand the need for all people to be to have a share of that beauty. Dario Gill is the director of IBM Research, one of the largest research labs in the world. He shared a recommendation with us in our very first episode that's actually been a favorite of several of our guests. It's a perfect fit for any reader on your list interested in thinking in new ways. It's The Tyranny of Merit by Michael Sandel. It's an analysis of the dark side of meritocracy and how, um, you know, according to Sandel, it really has contributed directly to some of the poison in our politics that we experience and some of the crises that that we're witnessing. So uh, it It's a very, very interesting argument that I encourage everybody to look at because first order, it seems counterintuitive. Like we say, what don't we all want a meritocratic ideal and shouldn't that be the basis by which we organize uh, society? But I think in his reflection and analysis, if you look deep down, a number of consequences are very problematic. First of all, for the winners, in quotes, of the meritocratic uh, system, it creates a form of hubris where they think their success is solely theirs. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, for the losers, in quote, of the meritocratic system, it passes a judgment that it says, you did not rise because you did not deserve it. And that that inherent tension of a system designed around the meritocratic ideal can cause a fracture of society in its own right perhaps best expressed in the context of the book around the thought that they claim that the answer to the future of countries that 100% of the people should go to college, as an example. When the reality of it in the context of the United States, as an example, two thirds don't have a college degree. So credentialism from that uh, aspect of it as the only avenue for progress 
ultimately leaves the majority of the population behind. My colleague Alex Court had the chance to talk to organizational psychologist John Amici earlier this year. John is the author of a new book, The Promises of Giants, stressing how anyone can be a giant and use their power to influence others for good. John also had many great recommendations. Here are a few. I just happen to have some books here on my desk. <clears throat> One of them is Covering by Kenji Shino. He's a, a lawyer. Um, despite that, the book is excellent. He's amazing. Um, no, he is really, really, really talented. The other one is uh, Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett, husband and wife uh, team, absolutely brilliant scientists. And they wrote the book, The Spirit Level, Why Equality is Better for Everybody. It's brilliant. I'd offer one more thing. There's a book that was written by Shelley Kirkpatrick, Leadership, Do Traits Matter? It was a trait leadership thing. And we use her work a lot. She wrote it when she was still a PhD student. I mean, that's how ridiculously good she is. Audrey Choi is the chief sustainability officer at Morgan Stanley. She reads widely and recommended a classic that you might expect. Al Gore is an inconvenient truth. But she also had a more personal selection that you might not have heard of. A Year of Impossible Goodbyes. That's by Audrey's mother, Signal Choi, on growing up in North Korea during the Japanese occupation during World War II. Here's Audrey on what that book means to her. For me, obviously, it's part of the very personal family story, but this has been a year that, uh, or a year, a decade, I know, that, that I've thought a lot about, um, you know, about that promise of the American dream, which is that anything is possible if you work hard, try hard, and, you know, study hard, et cetera. I think that when, especially when you ask about that vision of, you know, if the world is right and well, like if the version is right and well, what has been characterized as the American dream should be the every country dream that any child born anywhere in the world has the opportunity to grow up feeling genuinely like the sky's the limit. And we just have so much work to do to, to have that be true for, for children today. Deb Whitman's pick isn't a typical book list read, but it's also one that will challenge how you think about success. Deb is the chief public policy officer at AARP, a nonprofit that is one of the largest membership organizations in the world with 38 million members. Her recommendation digs into life expectancy, how it's changing, and what that means for the future. I read Deaths of Despair by Anne Case and Angus Deaton about life expectancy dropping. Angus is a Nobel Prize winner in economics. And they were looking at the data that showed that particularly for people with low education, that we've had a fairly dramatic drop in life expectancy in the United States. And they go on to hypothesize how to do better, but I think it's, I think it is a time period in which progress is very unequal and where a lot of gains in life expectancy have been really at the top. And just from my own work, I know that, you know, people at the top 1% of income, men live 15 years longer than men at the bottom 1%. Women at the top live 10 years longer than women at the bottom 1%. So we're seeing not just a rise in income inequality and wealth inequality that have been talked about, I think, for many decades, but a huge rise in life inequality. And that's, you know, time that we have on this planet with our families. And I think it's something that, that has been under the radar. I think it affects our politics. And I think it really affects, back to the storytelling, how people see their future. 
We've always had this idea of the American dream that my kids are going to do better than me and they're going to live longer. And if that's no longer the case, what does that mean for America and for society more broadly? Lena Nair is Chief Human Resource Officer at Unilever. She's worked at the global consumer goods giant for 30 years and will actually take on a new role of CEO of Chanel in January 2022. She told Meet the Leader just last fall that she is a voracious reader and gave us a range of selects, things that focus on areas that we can all strengthen in the new year, like having braver conversations and not losing sight of meaning and purpose. Here's Lena. I am right now reading Courageous Conversations, written by Amy Edmondson. I think it's a really, really good book. It focuses on psychological safety. How do you create a courageous organization where people can share ideas, speak their mind, challenge each other, resolve conflict? How do you create a truly safe place as an organization? And it's a pretty inspiring book. I'm also reading, you know, I lost my mother to COVID in May this year. So I've also been a little drawn to reading about life after death, what happens. I've been reading the Tibetan book of living and dying. I've been reading the Testament of Life, just books that are provoking me to think about, you know, what's what's our life? What's our mortality? What's the purpose of our life? What do we come here to do? So that's what's keeping me busy right now, reading all of this. Dariq Al-Alemi is co-founder of 3BL Associates, a people plus planet strategic consultancy and one of the first of its kind in Bahrain. He has a focus on climate and changing how business is conducted. And he's even been named a climate trailblazer by the Global Climate Action Summit. He's also a member of our Global Shapers community and has an inspiring pick from the Archbishop Desmond Tutu called Made for Goodness. It's a pick that's perfect for anyone looking to restore their faith in humanity. Here's Tariq. The Archbishop tells these incredible stories of really how they approached the HIV AIDS crisis as well in South Africa and what it meant to really take up this mantle of acting from that place of goodness, that place of trust, even when all of the surroundings around us would probably tell us not to. I think for anyone who's ever heard the Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu speak, um, there is a real astonishment that despite the incredible horrors that he's witnessed, how much love, how much hope, how much trust he still has in the goodness and wonder of human beings. I found it a very beautiful remembrance to, to return to. And this is a remembrance for me of believing in the goodness of human beings, um, but also really having a response that is really rooted in, in love and in thanksgiving, but also centered around justice. And those are our book recommendations. Don't forget to check out our new book club podcast hosted by my colleague, Beatrice DeCaro. You can find that and its sister podcasts, Radio Davos, and of course, meet the leader on wef.ch slash podcasts. I'm Linda Lucina, and I hosted and produced this episode. Gareth Nolan handled studio production. And my thanks go out to him and to all of our guests who have appeared on Meet the Leader, sharing their insights and their book recommendations with you. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts and to follow us online on social media. Go to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.